0: Early in 2019, European Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker made this statement, I did not think in my lifetime I would see again that Jewish citizens are afraid to express their support for their religion. Mr. Juncker is, of course, expressing his concern that 70 years after the end of World War II and the horror of the Holocaust, radical movements from the far right and far left are once more raising the specter of anti-Jewish movements. At the same time, a small number of extreme elements within the refugee population who arrived in Europe in the years since the Arab Spring and the Syrian Civil War enhance the tension with the European Jewish community. Anti-Semitic sentiment has been around for a very long time. Many ask why some people are filled with hatred towards individuals they have never met. Others who are not involved sometimes ignore the issue and feel that since it doesn't affect them, why should they be concerned? In today's program we will explore the history of this problem and why it should matter to you. Stay tuned. What is anti-Semitism? The International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance defines it as the following, anti-Semitism is a certain perception of Jews which may be expressed as hatred towards Jews. The term antisemitism was coined by a German named William Marr, himself an opponent of the Jews in 1870. Anti-Semitism was a sanitized version of the term used previous to 1870, which was simply Jew-hater. Globally, Jews make up less than one quarter of one percent of the earth's population. Why then has this people, which has contributed so much in the areas of science, medicine, philosophy and religion, been so vilified by so many and for so long? How could the same people be accused of being both ardent communists and capitalists at the same time, or despised because they were too conservative or too liberal? The story of Jew-hating goes back many centuries. In 333 B.C., Macedonian Alexander the Great and his Greek forces overwhelmed the Persian Empire and in the course of the conquest absorbed both Egypt and the Middle East into his empire. Alexander showed great favor to the Jews, and hence many Jews, especially scholars and skilled craftsmen, moved and settled in the new city named after the emperor, Alexandria. Here they flourished for many years, yet by the early 200s B.C. a wave of anti-Semitism was rearing its head in Egypt. Renowned Cambridge scholar and author Michael Grant in his book, the history of ancient Israel, indicates that one of the advisors of Ptolemy I had written quite objectively about the Jews. Later an Egyptian priest, one Manetho of Heliopolis, wrote in the days of Ptolemy II a vitriolic set of charges against the Jews, such as cruelty and the spreading of disease, for which there was no evidence. Manetho also falsified a list of Egyptian kings or pharaohs specifically to try to push Egyptian history back further than that of the Greeks, and, as Grant states on page 202, to contradict the biblical account of the exodus which he deemed offensive to Egyptian national pride. The Alexandrian Jewish community realized they needed a response to this malicious attack, which was turning sentiment against them. They realized that the Greeks did not know Jewish history, or religious teachings, and to help them better understand the Jews, they embarked on a very ambitious project. As Grant writes, the Jews of Alexandria embarked on a massive counterblast to this type of disastrous publicity. It comprised a great Greek translation of the Bible. This is today known as the Septuagint, the work of seventy scholars. A Greek translation. Of ancient Hebrew manuscripts that are no longer extant. The purpose was twofold to enable many Jews who no longer spoke Hebrew to know the Scriptures, and more importantly, to enable the Greek world to better understand Hebrew thought and history. If that were understood, they reasoned, it would serve to thwart the effect of the deliberate spread of lies and hate. Alas, the problems continued to rise up from time to time, even to our day. Today, in general, the English-speaking world is a refuge from anti-Semitism, but this was not always the case. Very few, if any, Jews were in England in the days prior to the Norman conquest in 1066. After the conquest, Jews were invited to settle in England by the new king, William I, the conqueror. European laws at that time generally prevented Christians from being involved in money lending. Jews were not so prevented and became gradually engaged in lending and early forms of banking. Jews from Spain to England to Germany, even Rome, became critical for the funding of many projects, palaces, castles and support for the king's expenditures. This made them powerful, yet vulnerable. When nobles became more heavily indebted to Jewish lenders, the Jews became vilified. Henry II protected Jews, but under his son Richard, public sentiment became so hostile to Jews that royal support eroded. During and after Richard's rule, severe anti-Jewish fervor created mobs which massacred whole Jewish communities. Often Christian religious clerics at the time would work up the mobs, calling them Christ killers. They somehow forgot the prayer of Christ on the stake. Then Jesus said, Father forgive them, for they do not know what they do. In 1290, all the Jews who refused to convert to Christianity were ordered expelled from England. England was not alone. Other nations also began expelling Jews from the territory. Hungary in 1360. France in 1394, Austria 1421, Spain 1492 and Portugal in 1497. Many are surprised to learn that General Ulysses Grant, commander of the Union Army in the U.S. Civil War, in 1862 ordered all Jews expelled from Tennessee, Kentucky and Mississippi. This order was revoked after the intervention of President Abraham Lincoln. In modern times all are familiar with the Holocaust and the well-documented systematic and brutal slaughter of millions of Jews at the hands of Hitler and the Nazis in World War II. We can rightly ask, why? Why has such hatred been focused on a small population of highly capable people who have actually made very significant contributions? Truly as in any population some are going to be problems. But the Jews have no greater number of people who are deviant than other groups, so why have they become so singled out? We will address this question in the second part of the program. Before we examine the question of why Jews have been the victims of such hatred over the years, we would like to make you aware of our special offer for today. Much persecution both of Jews and some Christians have been encouraged by religious fervor. Not every claim is genuine, and this is also unfortunately the case within the area of religion. The booklet, Satan's Counterfeit Christianity, makes a distinction between faith which comes from the Bible and that which only claims to do so. The counterfeit has been indeed a source of much sorrow and deception on the earth. Here's how you can get your copy of this most revealing free publication.
1: Don't miss out on this captivating free booklet. We have operators ready to take your call. Simply ask for Satan's counterfeit Christianity. You can also order online at TWCanada.org. Tens of thousands of churches claim to teach and live by the Christianity described by the Bible. The religious confusion among professing Christians is perhaps Satan's greatest act of deception. You need to know the truth. Don't wait. Dial the number on your screen or visit us online right now. Just in case you missed our contact information, I will give it again later in the program.
0: In the first part of today's program, we have very briefly examined some of the history behind the modern manifestations of anti-Semitism. I would like now to examine the real causes of this virulent hatred, which unfortunately seems to be still alive in this modern era. Historians have recorded a quote from Adolf Hitler, It seems that he did indeed say this, although it appears to have originated with his one time confidant, Hermann Rausching. Conscience is a Jewish invention like circumcision. My task is to free men from the dirty and degrading ideas of conscience and morality. Perhaps the reason for anti Semitism is contained within that chilling quote. Over the centuries, Mobs, clerics, and various rulers invented or embellished fables to turn the citizenry against the Jew. What were the conditions that allowed the hatred of the Jews to be established and to spread? First of all, the observant Jews were different than the surrounding populations. Education, their custom of ensuring that sons were educated in a trade and literary works made them valuable for rulers, considering that the vast majority of Europe was illiterate through the Middle Ages, and even during the Renaissance. Thus the Jews were given better positions, and some, not all, became wealthy. The ability to lend large sums of money resulted in significant influence, but also fostered jealousy. A culture of separation. There was the influence of the Talmudic traditions which largely came from rabbinical customs, not the Hebrew Scriptures. Some of these traditions served to encourage a social and cultural separation from the surrounding peoples. It is postulated by some scholars that this separation created an atmosphere which fostered the spreading of false rumors about the Jews in the majority population. Combined with superstition, fear and ignorance, The false rumors often led to violence. On this point it is interesting to note that the Karaite Jews of Eastern Europe and Russia followed Biblical teaching, not rabbinical or Talmudic law. They did not separate themselves from society in general and suffered far less from pogroms and persecution. Anti-Semitic Propaganda The publishing of fraudulent literature purporting to have been written by Jews, telling of planned conspiracies, have also led to hatred and violence. The worst example is the document published in Russia in 1905, The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. This was written by the enemies of the Jews for the sole purpose of spreading illogical and vicious hatred against the Jews accusing them of plotting the complete takeover of society. While totally fictitious, it was believed by many, and continues to be believed. Biblical Law The application of some biblical laws made a difference in lifestyle. Such was the case in the Dark Ages when cities were filthy, with raw sewage thrown in the street. Along with other refuse it was a breeding ground for cholera, typhoid and eventually bubonic plague. In the Jewish quarters, Biblical laws of quarantine for the sick and disposal through burial of human waste greatly reduced the incidence of disease. The mobs, however, considered that only a few Jews were sick when many of their populations were dying, hence the Jew must be the cause of the disease. All of the above reasons, however, cannot explain the real source of anti-Semitism. It is worth noting that the biblical laws referenced in the last point include far more than quarantine. These biblical laws, unlike the Talmudic laws developed by rabbinical Judaism, which served in large measure to separate observant Jews from society, were also observed by the early Church of God, as taught by the Apostles, which historians record. Yet these biblical laws are virtually absent today from most Christian denominations. Why? Could antisemitism have been a force at play centuries ago that changed Christian belief? In the remainder of our program, we will take a look at the real underlying cause of antisemitism. Again, we'd encourage you to call, write, or email for our free offer Satan's Counterfeit Christianity. Many today speak of conspiracies. Well, there is really one primary conspirator active in the earth, and this booklet reveals his identity. A being who is out to deceive and who uses religion as one of his agencies of deception. This could be one of the most revealing publications you will ever receive, and it is free.
1: Here is how you can order. This booklet is yours for the asking. Just call the number on the screen and request Satan's Counterfeit Christianity. You can also order online at TWCanada.org. Have you ever asked why are there so many different churches? Is the Bible really still relevant? Or does it even matter what we believe? We answer these questions and more in Tomorrow's World Magazine. Call us right now or visit us online and get your free copy of Satan's Counterfeit Christianity and Tomorrow's World Magazine. Enjoy the rest of the program.
0: Earlier on today's program we read a comment from Adolf Hitler where he states that the problem with the Jews is that they were guilty of spreading conscience and morality. Professor David Nirenberg, author of Anti-Judaism, The History of a Way of Thinking, argues that anti-Semitism is in fact a rejection of Jewish values and that the core objective of anti-Semitism is to negate the ethical principles upon which Judaism is based. The real issue is that Judaism has its original foundation in the religion given to all Israel. This was a religion based upon the understandings and laws given to Israel by God, the Creator Himself. Thus they are principles that are absolute and not open to change. They cannot thus be modified to adjust to the changing mood of society or what today we might call political correctness. The God of the Bible who gave these directions makes his view of changing law to meet altering societal standards clear. For I am the Lord, I do not change. This strongly implies. That the laws and way of life revealed to man and recorded by Moses are permanent. The nation of Israel was commanded in Scripture to be faithful to these laws and principles, and if they were, God would care for them and bless them, and if they were diligent in their observation, they would become the teachers of these laws and way of life for the rest of mankind. Therefore, be careful to observe them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? It is especially noteworthy to consider that even the first century or original Christian church understood the principle that God's law was absolute. They reasoned that if God is God and creator of all, then His law must represent absolute truth, which must be followed and must trump any human law. Thus the original Christian church and the devout Jews believed this. We see the half-brother of Jesus, the Apostle Jude, make such a statement. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. This commitment to retain as a standard of belief and behavior the way of life God defined has a strong impact on Jewish society, as well as on the church founded by Christ and the Apostles after A.D. 31. They both believe that right and wrong can only be defined by God through the Bible. Dr. Owen Shadwick, Master of Seddon College, Cambridge University, a noted scholar and writer, states, This is what the Christians did. They were Jews who turned Judaism from a faith for a few into a faith for all. He goes on to add Groups like the first one in Jerusalem of Christians kept the law, ate no pork, and kept the Sabbath day and are found for three hundred years and more. Through the subsequent centuries, these two groups, the Jews and the original church taught by the apostles, found themselves as targets of persecution often at the hand of those who made a claim of being Christian. What did the Jews and the original church taught by the Apostles have in common that made them a target of society? Simply this, they shared a common value system that was not open to reinterpretation as society changed its values. Holding to these biblical standards made them both constantly outsiders in their communities the more the social order around them diverged from actual biblical teaching, the greater the resentment. In AD 66, and again in AD 135, Jewish forces raised major rebellions against Roman rule. These were some of the most difficult wars Rome had been forced to fight, and their losses were very heavy, especially in the revolt of AD 135. As a consequence of these wars, Romans did not care that the revolts had been caused by Roman oppression, and hatred against the Jews and things Jewish boiled over. This manifestation of anti-Semitism spilled over onto the fledgling Christian Church. As keepers of the Seventh-day Sabbath, annual holy days, and food laws of the Bible, they too looked Jewish, even if they were Gentiles, and often fell victim to brutal treatment. Hence. Under the pressure of growing anti-Semitic violence, many early Christians started to change their practices so they would not look Jewy. They abandoned the Passover, which Paul had observed and instructed to be kept, in favor of Easter. They moved their day of worship to the first day of the week, from the seventh, and adopted doctrines that further separated them from Jews. Those who had faithfully held to their beliefs often suffered martyrdom, rather than be unfaithful, and some managed to escape the bounds of the Roman Empire into non-Roman controlled Europe. Even later, during the Inquisition of the Middle Ages, the inquisitors did go after Jews, but focused their hatred primarily on Christians who retained and followed the actual teachings delivered by Christ and the Apostles, including the Law of God. Both these groups, Jews, and those few who still follow original Christianity, remain a conscience to the world, and a reminder of the immutable and unchanging law of the Creator God, which is the only true definition of morality. Our free booklet, Satan's Counterfeit Christianity, chronicles the sweeping changes adopted after the deaths of the original apostles, changes that were frequently driven by virulent anti-Semitic forces. No man, not Hitler, not even the great apostate forces that are yet prophesied to rise upon the earth, will be able to negate or eliminate the way of life outlined in the writings of the Bible. The world, anciently and in the Middle Ages, and especially today, does not want to hear about morality as God defines it. It does not want to hear the laws that absolutely define right and wrong and which will do so for eternity. Neither those who preach or commit acts of hatred against the Jews, nor those who will censure or persecute the original Church founded by the Apostles will succeed. The conscience and morality preserved in the pages of the Bible are absolute, immutable and true. As we see anti-Semitism raising once more its ignorant head, Surely close behind will be an attempt to eliminate the teaching of the truth and morality of the Bible, the conscience of humanity. Anti-Semitism and attacks on morality as defined by the law of the God of the Bible are an attempt to destroy the conscience of man. Know these evils for what they are. They will fail and the law of God will stand forever. Thank you for listening, and please join us next week when Gerald Weston, Michael Haykoop, and I will bring you more about today's issues and the incredible future of tomorrow's
1: world. To learn more about today's topic, visit www.twcanada.org. You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-7895 or by writing to us at Tomorrow's World, P.O. Box 409, Mississauga, Ontario, L5M 0P6 Welcome to Tomorrow's World Answers, where we answer your questions straight from the Bible. In Paul's day, there were many who taught that one needed to become a good Jew before they could become a Christian. Today, while we recognize that it is important to understand the identity of the modern descendants of the nation of Israel, the question occasionally arises, Does race or ethnicity matter for salvation? Let's be clear, in order to understand Bible prophecy, one must understand the identity of the nations descended from the children of Israel. However, in terms of your personal salvation and mine, our opportunity to be born into the kingdom of God does not rest on our having the right ancestry. God led Peter to understand this in Acts 10. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. A few verses later, we see that the Jews who accompanied Peter were astonished as Gentiles were given the gift of God's Spirit. This is a key point as Paul taught the Romans the importance of receiving God's Spirit. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. The key attribute necessary for being glorified with God is not ancestral heritage or ethnic background. It's the presence of God's Spirit. Acts 11 records the reaction of true Christians to this revelation. Notice they were not skeptical and held no resentment. When they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Salvation lies not with the color of one's skin. Rather, the heart of the matter is whether or not one has committed themselves to living God's way of life, has repented of their past sins, and received the gift of God's Spirit. Sadly, even today, there are many who look down on those of other ethnicities. Like God, we should show no partiality. Near the end of his life, John was inspired to include in his first epistle, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Few would argue that murder is a sin. Hatred is also a sin, as is racial hatred. To submit a question for the show, email us at twanswers twanswers@tomorrowsworld.org. Be sure to watch us online at twcanada.org or by searching Tomorrow's World Answers on YouTube receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine, revealing God's principles for living an abundant and happy life while providing insight into current and future events. At our website, you can also watch this and many more Tomorrow's World programs. Call 1-866-784-7895. Write or visit us online today. This program is a production of The Living Church of God.